This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, March 14th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellums. Today, we'll spend some time in March 1968. There was labor strife in Little Rock and a group effort to rewrite Arkansas's Constitution. Randy Dixon with the Dave and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History will bring us the sounds of this month 53 years ago in our second half hour. We'll start with COVID-19. Yesterday marked two years since much of life changed here. March 13th, 2020 was the day many people can remember as the date their office, school, or home changed. Dr. Cam Patterson, the chancellor of the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, says the state may be turning a corner with the virus. Dr. Patterson talked to Roby Rock with our partner, Talk Business and Politics, about where we are two years later. Feeling optimistic that we have clearly turned the corner on the Omicron surge, which has been the uh, the hardest surge on our healthcare system here in the state of Arkansas. Uh, you know, we, we uh, continue to see the downward trend. Uh, we were at about 100 patients with COVID uh, six weeks ago. Last week, uh, 26 patients um, in the hospital with COVID-19. Uh, today, 12 patients in the hospital with, with COVID-19. So. Uh, the tr- trends are all going in the right direction, um, but you know at the same time, we've had um, almost 11,000 deaths uh, from COVID-19 in, in the state of Arkansas. Uh, we've had uh, a lot of uh, serious stressors to our healthcare systems, um, and uh, the problem is not completely going away. So uh, we may be starting to see the beginning of the end here, uh, or at least. Uh, uh, the transition from COVID-19 to uh, an endemic from pandemic situation and, and turning it into a seasonal re- respiratory virus, but we're not there yet. Uh, you also said that your teams are predicting that there will likely be continuing surges of new variants, but there's reasons to believe that those surges will become less severe over time. Uh, what, where does that optimism come from? And maybe explain the science or the medicine behind that. Right. Well, you know, you know, in between um, people who've been exposed to COVID-19, who've been infected with COVID-19, and people who have gotten uh, the vaccine, uh, slightly over half of eligible Arkansans have been uh, vaccinated for COVID-19. Uh, there's enough community protection that uh, it's getting harder and harder for each new strain uh, to uh, create a beachhead here in the state of Arkansas. Now, as long as the virus continues to circulate, it's going to continue to mutate and we'll continue to have new strains. Uh, But hopefully there's enough protection in the community that each successive surge from new strains that that appear here in Arkansas uh, will be less and less and less. So, you know, it's sort of like a a wave that ripples down over time. Um, We we don't know that for sure. We don't have a crystal ball, but uh, our best predictions are suggesting that that's what the future holds for us. Um, are we on the road or will we eventually get to the point where we are treating COVID-19 um, like the annual flu? You're going to go get an annual shot. There will be therapies that can help you if you detect early enough that you have some of the symptoms. Is is that where we're somewhat headed? I, I think that that's likely to be the case. And, and I think five years from now, COVID-19 will uh, look a whole lot more like um, uh, a seasonal influenza than a succession of surges the way we're seeing it now. Uh, as we get more exposure, um, as we uh, have um, more community protection, and hopefully as we have more people who are vaccinated, 
Now, you know, the good news, Roby, is that uh, the companies that manufacture vaccines are actually looking to manufacture vaccines that will protect you against COVID-19, influenza, and RSV all at the same time. So I can envision uh, a time, uh, hopefully not too far in, in the future, where we get one shot a year and it protects us against all of the seasonal respiratory viruses. I don't think this is an impossible scenario that we could see another worldwide pandemic. It may be a different disease. It may not be a novel coronavirus. It could be something else likely to happen in our lifetime just based on what we've seen over the last two years plus. Do you think that the political division and the, and the different ways that we kind of came at um, attacking this uh, pandemic, do you think we're going to be able to handle a crisis like that better next time? Or do you think that you know, it's going to be more difficult. Well, you know, we, we've uh, learned some things. So, uh, you know, I do think that we need to uh, reflect on what we've learned uh, about COVID-19. Roby, you're right. You know, we are going to see uh, a, another pandemic that may be not as bad, as bad or, or worse than COVID-19 in the future. You know, in the, in the past 20 years, we've had several near misses. COVID-19 has been uh, the... Um, only infection that has turned into a worldwide pandemic, but we've had several near misses. So uh, new viruses pop up periodically and, uh, you know, it's a roll of the dice, whether uh, one turns into a worldwide pandemic or not. I hope that uh, as uh, the heat turns down on COVID-19, we all, every one of us has a chance to do some reflection and to think about what worked and what didn't work. Um, the you know, the divides that were created that didn't need to be there um, and how we avoid uh, having that happen in, in the first part, Roby, is that we didn't do more before the vaccines were available to educate the public about the safety of vaccines. Uh, we're going to have to do a better job of that before uh, the, the next vaccine comes along so that um, we don't have suspicion and um uh, you know, false information uh, about the vaccines influencing what people do next time. Uh, lastly, where are we in the exploration of what some of the long-term effects of COVID-19 may be on the human body? I, mean, I know that it, it will take a while for us to start gathering that data and be able to synthesize some of it there. But, you know, just based on past experiences and what we've done in looking at how other diseases have had long-term effects, where, where do you kind of feel like we are in that spectrum? Well, I think that we're only beginning to learn about the long-term effects of COVID-19. You know, we just learned this week that even mild infection with COVID-19 has a long-term impact on brain function. Um, you know, uh, it's likely that uh, COVID-19 will have effects that last years or potentially even decades of time. So we'll, we'll continue to learn more and more about the adverse long-term impact uh, of COVID-19. Unfortunately, uh, Roby, the, the more we learn, the, the more we find that um, the long-term impact is worse than we thought. Dr. Cam Patterson is the chancellor at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. He talked with Roby Brock from our partner, Talk Business and Politics. As we move into a third year with COVID-19, there are new emergent subvariants of the COVID-19 Omicron variant spreading across the U.S., including in Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich tells us more. 
this winter, the Omicron B1 variant of SARS-CoV-2 detected in November was responsible for almost all COVID-19 infections, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, spreading faster than Delta and even the Genesis strain. It was the largest viral surge since a global pandemic was declared two years ago, but now two new Omicron subvariants identified as BA.2 and BA.2. Point three are being tracked by the World Health Organization as variants of concern. States like New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts are reporting BA.2 outbreaks, as well as California. Cases remain scant in Arkansas for now. Dr. Robert Hopkins is a professor of internal medicine and pediatrics and chief of the Division of General Internal Medicine at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock. He says the two new subvariants warrant our attention. You know, variants are emerging continuously. As long as we've got new virus replicating, we've got new variants emerging. You know, the, the BA2 variant, which is in a lot of people's big focus right now, was first detected in the Philippines in November, but that doesn't mean it originated there. Um, anywhere you've got virus circulating, that you've got enough people that are unvaccinated or haven't had disease recently enough that they're unprotected, you know, you have the possibility of new variants emerging. Omicron subvariant BA.2 in particular has been referred to as stealth Omicron because it has genetic mutations that make it harder to detect. Omicron was a challenge when it came to most of our molecular testing, you know, our PCR testing. PCR tests are COVID-19 clinical tests conducted by licensed medical practitioners and by state health department staff. Because it had changes in the spike protein gene that made the spike epitope, the spike piece, not show up on PCRs. And most PCR tests use two or three locations that they're detecting. So places that use the S gene saw the S gene not show up on their PCR, but the other detection points showed up for Omicron. So Omicron, I would say, was really more of a stealth than BA2 is. BA2 has a modification in the spike gene that is more similar to Delta. So it shows up on PCR tests, much like the Alpha and the Delta variants that we saw before, but it's an Omicron variant. So it's stealth compared to Omicron, but when when we think about COVID testing, It shows up on PCR just like any of the other COVID variants. The new Omicron subvariants may also be more transmissible. Well, we really don't know that at this point. Um, There have been some suggestions in some locations, uh, Northern Europe and Denmark, there was a concern that that BA2 might be more more transmissible because it really took over very rapidly. But we really don't have data to show that they're either more transmissible or more severe. A growing number of new COVID-19 case infections nationwide, as much as 10%, are being attributed to Omicron subvariant infection, according to CDC. You know, the the challenge is the genetic testing to tell you what specific variant you're going to do, you have in in place, takes some time. You know, it's not like a PCR test or a rapid test that you get a result back within even hours to, to a day. It takes a few days to get those back. Most of the genetic testing that's being done is being done at at referral laboratories out of state. And so it takes some time to get those back. And so 
I suspect that we've got BA2, we've got BA3, we've got regular Omicron, we've probably even got a little Delta floating around Arkansas, but I'm just suspecting that. I don't have the data to say that for certain. Subvariant infection symptoms were also initially reported to be novel compared to previous strains. As we best understand it, they're, they're really very similar symptom-wise to Omicron. They may cause a little bit less of the loss in taste and smell than we had with Delta, but the other symptoms are very similar. Uh, and really, we don't have enough data yet to say whether they are more severe or less severe. The Arkansas Department of Health no longer posts daily COVID-19 updates, only weekly counts due to a significant decline in COVID-19 cases. You know, our case numbers are down, but testing is way down, you know, as far as laboratory testing. People are not coming into testing centers and getting tested as much. Part of that is that we have more availability of home tests. And so some are testing at home, but those home tests aren't getting reported in routinely to a portal at the health systems or the health department or others. So I am firmly convinced there's more disease out there than we are seeing numbers-wise. But, you know, based on the lower number of hospitalizations, the number, lower number of patients in the ICUs, I think we're better off than we were three weeks ago. But I don't think we're as well off as it looks like purely looking at the health department dashboard. Complicating matters is that CDC recently relaxed mask guidance, saying only Americans with symptoms, a positive test, or exposure to someone with COVID-19 should wear protective face coverings. In Arkansas, protective protocols have been relaxed in Arkansas schools and businesses, although individuals may continue to mask and distance. CDC continues to publish a handy incidence-by-county map on an easily searchable nationwide portal. The incidence in Arkansas is low, again based on testing data, which is also low, with the exception of 16 counties in central and south-central parts of Arkansas. But with these new emergent Omicron subvariants, Dr. Robert Hopkins suggests Arkansans should continue to take precautions. Number one, if you're not vaccinated, please get vaccinated. The vaccines are safe. The vaccines are effective. The, vac- the few unusual side effects that we've seen with the vaccines are far less than the side effects and the ill effects of acute COVID and the prolonged syndrome of long COVID that we're still just really learning the very basics about. Second, if you've been vaccinated and it's been more than two months since you got the J&J vaccine or more than five months since you got the uh, messenger RNA vaccines, get your booster. Booster provides better protection against infection as well as against severe disease than just that original course of vaccination if it's been months since you've had it. Third, as much as people want to get away from the the masks, you know, if you're particularly if you're going to be around crowds of people, wear your mask. You wearing a mask is an additional layer of protection on top of your vaccine. And I'm still a firm believer that we really ought to be avoiding crowds. You know, I, much as I would have loved to, to go to some of those great basketball games over the last few days or go to a concert or those kind of things, I don't think we're there yet. I think it's a risk. And even for those of us that are healthy, why take a chance on a disease that could put you in the hospital or cause you severe long-lasting problems if you can avoid it? And, the, and my final advice is if you're sick, get tested. Because if, you're, if we don't know what you have, 
we as your healthcare team can't treat you. After the alpha novel coronavirus first emerged in China in late 2019 and spread around the globe, an array of SARS-CoV-2 virus variants followed, named Beta, Gamma, Delta, followed by Omicron. Virus-like people change in order to adapt, to survive. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Just ahead on Ozarks at Large, the city of Springdale is updating its plan for downtown. It's, it's made such a world of a difference to see the community get involved and engaged. They really wanted to uh, be seen. Asking for opinions on what's next in downtown Springdale in about three minutes. Journalists, filmmakers, and friends from around Arkansas and the world are remembering Brent Renault as a remarkable storyteller. The Arkansas native, he was born in Little Rock, was killed by Russian forces near Kiev, Ukraine this weekend. He often worked with his brother Craig to document war zones and the plight of refugees around the world. They also collaborated on documentaries like Meth Storm, about drug addiction, and Shelter, about people living without permanent housing. In 2019, he served as visiting distinguished professor of journalism ethics at the University of Arkansas. At the time of his death, he was working for Time Studios on a project centered on the global refugee crisis. He was 50. Central Presbyterian Church in Fort Smith is holding a fundraiser for Ukraine. They'll be making a Ukrainian meal of stuffed cabbage and borscht for pickup on Friday, March 18th from 5 until 6 p.m. The cost? Your donation for Ukraine. Pre-order is required by Wednesday. Funds raised will go to Mercy Corps, which is on the ground in Ukraine. A circuit judge in eastern Arkansas is setting a June date to decide if a new DNA testing method can be used on evidence from the West Memphis 3 murder case. Brandon Tabor, who is with our partner station KASU in Jonesboro, reports. Damian Eccles retweeted a court order from Crittenden County Circuit Judge Tanya M. Alexander setting a June 23rd date to hear arguments about using the MVAC DNA testing method on evidence from the 1993 murder. Defense attorneys had petitioned the court back in January to have the evidence retested using the new method to exonerate their client, Eccles, as well as Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. But prosecuting attorney Keith Cressman the following month, asked the court to throw out the request, saying the new testing method could damage the evidence. Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly were convicted of killing Christopher Byers, Steve Branch, and Michael Moore in a crime the three have maintained they did not commit. In Jonesboro, I'm Brandon Haber. Blood donors will have a chance to receive $1,000 for their donation from the Arkansas Blood Institute. Donors giving blood today through Thursday at any mobile blood drive or donor center will be automatically entered to win $1,000 in Visa gift cards. A press release accompanying the announcement lists spring break and the weeks immediately after as a period with a significant challenge to blood supply. You can find out more by going to ARKBI.org. Support for KUAF comes from the Walmart Museum, open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 8, and noon to 6 on Sunday on the Square in Bentonville. WalmartMuseum.com for more information. Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in Springdale presents Seen Through Her Wardrobe, Glimpses of Annabelle Searcy. Annabelle Applegate Searcy was one of many women exercising their independence at the turn of the 20th century. Through journals, letters, photos, and more, her life is pieced together. ShilohMuseum.org or 750-8165 for information. The Rave Cultural Foundation welcomes NWA Chai Time the third Sunday of each month. These family-friendly get-togethers will feature a sponsor expert sharing knowledge on topics such as gardening, writing a memoir, and more. 
Events are free, but registration is required. RAVEculturalfoundation.org for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. Downtown Springdale Alliance is reviewing and updating its master plan and seeking public input twice later this month. March 30th, a Wednesday night, there will be a 6.30 session at 214 South Main. And then the next night, Thursday the 31st, another 6.30 public discussion, this one at the Jones Center. It's a continuation of the master plan developed in 2015. Earlier this month, Jill Dabbs, the executive director of the Downtown Springdale Alliance, and Amber Paradin, an artist and resident of Downtown Springdale, came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk about the ongoing master plan process. Our conversation just happened to take place a few hours after the public announcement that the market center of the Ozarks Food Hub would be built in downtown Springdale. Jill Dabb says in the just few years since that first master plan, things have changed. If you go back and you look at the pictures, Emma Avenue has really changed. We used to have 18 wheelers that were coming right down the center of Emma Avenue all day long, every day. And now they use Thompson and um, Huntsville and 265 and We've reclaimed our downtown, and we used the master plan to do that. All right, I'm going to – let's just remember the t- phrase Main Street, and I'm going to come back to that here in a minute. Amber, let me bring you in here. Fifth-generation downtown Springdalian. You have been interested in downtown Springdale for a long time. What has the last five or ten years been like for you? Oh, wow. Watching the expansive growth of downtown Springdale over the last five years is – uh, it's it's just a complete and total shift. It's a total noticeable difference. Um, I mean, I can still scroll through my camera roll. This is very telling, but I can see photos of what downtown used to look like four or five years ago um, before Walter Turnbow Park had even opened. Um, and there were just vacant buildings, and uh, it just—it just made such a huge difference. Truly, to have to have a plan in place that's been implemented and people following through with it. Did you offer input the last time the plan was being discussed? I did offer input in the 2015 session uh, when we were doing the the downtown master plan at that time. um, I actually helped sort of rally the community and gather them to come and and contribute to uh, the messaging for the downtown uh, development. So it's it's made such a world of a difference to see the community get involved and engaged. They really wanted to uh, be seen and heard, and uh, that's what that opportunity really offered, and that's what uh, that's what we're here today doing again. Yeah, so Jill, there, there are chances coming up later this month for people to offer input what they want to think about the next five or ten years. Yes, we're going to have some community input sessions on March 30th and 31st. Uh, one's going to be at the Jones Center, and the ne- the other one is going to be at the 214 or the old art center of the Ozarks building. Um, we are encouraging residents and business owners of downtown Springdale to come out and give their input. We'll also, on those evenings, you'll get an update from the planners that developed our original plan and kind of a look back of where we started and kind of see some of the milestones that have happened over the years. And then also a look forward at, you know, what what challenges may we be facing and how do we address them? And getting community input on those is very, very important. Yeah, I guess one of the uh, things to consider, Springdale has grown, as has every community in Northwest Arkansas over the last 10, 15, 20 years, that growth is projected to continue. It is. It is. There's, um, we have numerous um, 
mixed-use developments going in that have residential units in them, so we're expecting a, a larger influx of residents downtown. And uh, we also have a number of businesses that are locating downtown and bringing workforce down there. We have tech companies and uh, a number of other things. Today, the the um, the center was announced, and uh, that's going to bring more, more people downtown. Luther George Park is going to be developed over the next couple of years. Uh, that's also a result of the, the master plan uh, that we've had over the last seven years and um, six years. And um, so a lot of things are happening that are going to bring a lot more people downtown. So we have to keep looking at how do we, what, what needs to be done next. Amber, what do you hope comes out of this that might be similar or different from the last session in 2015? Oh, that's a great question. I, I feel like, um, you know, just as a working artist in downtown Springdale and participating in this in 2015, I was able to just voice my my opinions and concerns around just keeping art in the forefront of the conversation. And I've just been incredibly impressed with how that has unfolded over the last five years. And I really feel like we are kind of taking the lead in a lot of ways with with empowering local artists. And so that is something um, I've witnessed grow and blossom. And I think we're only just beginning. I think that um, downtown Springdale is about to become a mecca for um, working artists and arts organizations. And so that's something that I'm I'm interested in seeing um, continue to develop. And especially as these uh, districts within the master plan get defined and figuring out what that looks like and how we can um, literally, quite literally, illustrate what that is um, through art. You're at 214 Cash, but there are other arts organizations in that immediate downtown area, right? Correct. So I do, I, I am the artist and community manager with Cash, and uh, I am working in the former Art Center of the Ozarks building to help rehabilitate that building and, and reimagine it over the next few years. And uh, next door to us, uh, or just down the street, is Interform. They're doing a lot of really incredible work in the community. Fashion Week is one of their big things. Yes, Fashion Week is one of their huge things, um, amongst many others. They they did an event last year called Assembly in downtown Springdale, where they uh, paid and empowered local curators to curate art in different locations all across across downtown Springdale for an entire month. And that was a really impressive uh, task they completed. So... Um, and along with Interform, there's, um, speaking of TASC, is TASC, the Teen Action and Support Center. They do a lot of work to empower uh, local teenagers through art and, and other mediums. Um, Arts One Presents is also in downtown Springdale. They um, are the evolution of the Art Center of the Ozarks, but they are still very much in action, um, producing new work through theater. They're working to get public art um, out into downtown Springdale. So they are also out there just being incredibly active. And then and then especially the Downtown Springdale Alliance made um, a bunch of murals happen just last year, or the year before. So um, lots of momentum as far as the arts go, and that's just one layer of this entire master plan. Jill, you mentioned uh, Emma being the main street of Springdale again, you know, thriving. And there is this um, phrase that gets used that to make Springdale, I don't think necessarily Emma specifically, but downtown Springdale, sort of the main street of northwest Arkansas. Yes. There, there used to be, I, I saw this today on the press release uh, for the center that came out, and it, it, there used to be a welcome to Springdale sign, and it said the main street of Northwest Arkansas on that sign, and and so we're we're getting a chance to come back around to that and be that center again for the entire region. So that's really current master plan is online in English, 
Marshallese and Spanish. So you can kind of look at those principles that were established then and figure out for yourself, I guess, how you think the city is doing. Yes. Um, there's a there's a website that has that information on there, and uh, we just closed out to uh, yesterday the input sessions. Um, there was a questionnaire that was out, and it was in Spanish and Marshallese and English. And uh, we had, I'm proud to say, we had over 1,200 um, submittals um, for that input, and that will all be summarized. And that that's also part of the report out that will happen on the 30th and the 31st. Jill Dabbs is executive director of Downtown Springdale Alliance. We also heard from Amber Perrodin. She is a resident and working artist in Downtown Springdale. The public input sessions regarding the updating of the Downtown Springdale Master Plan are Wednesday night, March 30th at 214 South Main Street, and Thursday night, the 31st, at the Jones Center. Both will start at 6.30. Both are free and open to the public. And you can read more about the plan and the update at dsmasterplanupdate.com. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A two-part episode of a popular television mystery show was based in Arkansas. Death Stalks the Big Top, an episode of Murder, She Wrote that aired on September 28 and October 5, 1986, was set in the fictional Arkansas towns of Catlinburg and Pullman City. In the program, Angela Lansbury's Miss Marple-like character Jessica Fletcher tracks her long-lost brother-in-law to a circus performing in Arkansas. While investigating, the circus experiences several accidents followed by murders. The episode featured veteran actors Jackie Cooper and Lorraine Day and novice Courtney Cox, who later gained fame on Friends. Paragould native Lee Purcell portrayed Maylene, a bareback circus rider, and she and Lansbury appeared together in several scenes, including one involving a near-death experience. Purcell had performed in several other Murder, She Wrote episodes, but Death Stalks the Big Top was the only one set in Arkansas, and it remains a popular one with fans. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. The Arkansas Razorback basketball teams now know their first opponents for March Madness. The men will open play in the NCAA tournament Thursday as a number four seed facing the Vermont Catamounts. Vermont is an automatic qualifier after winning the America East Conference tournament. It's the first time the programs have ever met on the basketball court. And the Arkansas women are a number 10 seed and will meet Utah, a seven seed, on Friday. Utah and Arkansas have one common opponent this year, California. Utah beat Cal twice in Pac-12 competition. Arkansas defeated the Bears in Bud Walton Arena way back in early December. We may seek perfection, but rarely do we achieve it. Mary Half, a pitcher for the Razorback softball team, knows the feeling of perfection. The senior toss, the first perfect game in program history Friday, striking out 14 in the process. This came against Maryland. The accomplishment didn't come without drama. The last batter she faced worked the count full, meaning one more pitch outside of the strike zone would have been a walk and ended the perfecto. But Mary's last pitch hit the zone, and no Maryland batter ever reached base. The 11th-ranked Razorbacks softball team will open SEC competition Friday at Tennessee. Extenuating circumstances, both natural and man-made, are altering the running of the Irish 5K and 10K in Bentonville. Originally, the run was supposed to take place this past Saturday, but the snow and slick conditions moved the races to this approaching Saturday, two days after St. Patrick's Day. Starting times are different now as well, since we've moved into daylight saving time. The 10K will start at 7.30 Saturday morning, the 5K at 7.45. If you're unable to run the race in person next weekend at the Bentonville Community Center, you're encouraged to run virtually. Return your timing chip to the Downtown Activity Center during the month of March and collect your finisher's medal. Online registration, however, will not reopen. You can find out more information at runbentonville.com. Uh, it's at a standstill at present. Uh, 
We've, uh, some of the builders are even going out of business and some are resorted to uh, just the real estate end of their business only and they drop building and virtually standstill. This is Ozarks at Large, sitting across the table from me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Randy, welcome. And what did we just hear? Well, that was uh, a forecast for the housing market from March of 1969. But there was a lot of stuff going on in yeah. March of 69. And, you know, this uh, predated, of course, the big recession of the 70s. But you know, there may have been a little foreshadowing or whatever. Here you're talking about stalling of home construction. There was a lot of talk about taxes, but do you want to hear just a few things please, that were, that were going on? All right, I did a little research. This is when I was in first grade, so this will be exciting. Okay, I was 10. Okay. So I had a few years on so I can remember a little better. I mean, I remember Woodstock, mm-hmm. barely. Mm-hmm. But they were planning that. Right. You know, this is March. It was in July. Right. So anyway, there was also Apollo 9 was launched. Golda Meir was sworn in as the first female prime minister of Israel. Right. Uh, UCLA, the Bruins won their third consecutive national championship in a win against Purdue. Mm-hmm. And Jim Morrison of the Doors Remember, he was arrested in Miami for indecent exposure at a concert. But this week, we're going to take a look at what happened in Arkansas during March of 1969. Jim Morrison was not in Arkansas that month. I don't know that he was ever <laughs> I don't in think Arkansas. He was. But uh, all right, let's listen to this first clip. Okay. Uh, who was in Arkansas was Guy Mutt Jones. Well, yes. Uh, he was quite a well-known legislator, uh, senator, state senator. And um, I found this. The Arkansas Gazette called him, quote, the noisiest, newsiest, most ferocious entertainer uh, and controversial man in the legislature. And that's not a low bar. <laughs> well, that's true at that I mean, time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he was uh, he was a small man, mm-hmm. but uh, he was a fireball, and uh, he did not like Winthrop Rockefeller. He was one of his biggest enemies. So this first clip from the KETV archives from March of '69, uh, Jones is questioning the governor's call for a special legislative session that involves taxes. Mr. Rockefeller has included items in this special call which should be in a general session in order to make the special session palatable to a greater number of people. I say deliberately that he has called a special session of the legislature to enhance his prospects for re-election for a third term. I know that Mr. Rockefeller promised he would, he only wanted two terms as governor and all of us know that he is an honorable man. It is my duty to attend this special session of the legislature, and I will attend, knowing that what is being paid me out of tax money is an uncalled for waste of the taxpayers' money. Uh, You've got another legislator here. Yes. From 69. And as a matter of fact, um, Hayes McClurkin, who was Speaker of the House, um, announced for governor. As a matter of fact, my father was his campaign manager at the time. He was a lawyer uh, in in Little Rock, but he had announced his race for governor. He's talking about taxes, too, 
And uh, that was one of his issues uh, on his platform. And here he's talking about taxing the middle class. So I think that we have to understand that not only do we have to approach problems economically, but we have to look at them socially. And we have got to realize that these problems are not going to come out of concessions or payments to people who are underprivileged or to groups who are now pressing for power because you and I, the middle class, and we've been coined that phrase, middle America, we're tired of being kicked around. We live by the rules, and all of a sudden, we're criticized for living by the rules. Another issue that month uh, was the striking of union employees. Uh, a major strike that year was by the employees of the Little Rock Waterworks. Uh, Reverend Cato Brooks, who was well-known in, in I think, not only central Arkansas, but in the region, uh, led the movement to rally at the steps of City Hall in Little Rock. If Captain Jack and his crew over here haven't decided to do something towards selling this strike, we're going to step up demonstrations. Now, most of you here today, a lot of you came and didn't know why you were here. Two words will describe why we're all here today. Human dignity. That is the Reverend Cato Brooks. There was more from that labor uh, strife. Yes, uh, joining those strikers. And this guy was really well known in the state uh, because for years and years, J. Bill Becker was the president of the AFL-CIO. As a matter of fact, of course, another connection. I grew up and went to high school with his son, so I knew him. I think he would really be a good profile, so maybe we could profile J. Bill Becker uh, yeah. here soon. But he was there at the strike, and this is what he had to say. Reverend Brooks is right. We should keep walking until they start talking down there. until justice is done on the job at the Waterworks Commission. They may be the only water company in town, but they don't have to act like it. We come here on the steps of the City Hall, the labor movement, and the civil rights movement, and we come in peace. There is violence all over this land, and we want no part of that violence. There was a constitutional convention in 1969? Yes. Well, and they're rare. Yeah, they there, are. There have only been eight in the whole history of, of Arkansas. You know, there are 100 delegates, and they're there to draw up the framework of actually a new constitution for the state. And there had not been a new one since 1874. So a lot had changed since 1874, so you can see a reason, a desire to have one. Right. And they brought in a well-known name up here in Fayetteville, uh, Dr. Robert Leffler, who was law professor uh, for decades mm -hmm. here and very well respected. They brought him in as the executive director uh, and, and this is what he had to say, welcoming the delegates uh, to the chambers of the state capitol. 
I want further to express my sincere appreciation, and I think in this respect that I uh, can fairly speak for the people of Arkansas. Appreciation of the good faith and honest and conscientious efforts made by the delegates to this convention to do as good a job in drafting the new Constitution as you are capable of doing, as we are capable of doing. You have made an honest effort, a conscientious effort to do this. And what, of course, is the law school called at the University of Arkansas? The Leffler Law School. And there's a reason for that. Uh, Leffler is is known for uh, his expertise mm-hmm. in in the law. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, he taught my father up here again. <laughs> we're gonna do we're gonna do one of these with only people who were in your childhood. Yeah, home. I'm sorry. <laughs> and my father was the uh, secretary director of the convention. Really? Yes. So we talked about it, you know, at night over dinner. And as a matter of fact, I got to spend a few days there at the Capitol to, you know, observe the proceedings. I didn't really get it at age 10, but it was it was uh, an interesting uh, thing to observe. Wow. I, it still kind of blows my mind that we're talking about a constitutional convention and you were there and it was happening and we're rewriting the state constitution at this point. And well, and the voters rejected it. Yeah. So all that – I remember my father saying, all that work for nothing. <laughs> so, so – And w- wait, real quick. Sure. Um, there were two more after that yeah. in 79 and 95. 95 yeah. They were both rejected. All right. So what else? Um, integration, segregation. Now, now remember, we're only at this point 15 years away from Central High. Right. Oh, not even. No, 12. 12. That's right. Think about, that's like saying 2010 now. Right. And so. Wasn't that long ago. No. And, and Arkansas, as we know, is a state with a history that has a hard time often making social progress. So this is still a big problem. Well, and in smaller towns around the state, it was still uh, in its infancy, mm-hmm. and uh, there were still growing pains. I guess you would you would call it of of trying to uh, integrate schools. Yeah, and such was the case uh, in the Dallas County town of Carthage. Um, they were having some issues with with trying to work out. Uh, racial balance in in their schools and it it actually uh, it became a big news story and caught the attention of well-known Arkansas civil rights activist Ozell Smith and uh, he became heavily involved in the controversy I've seen problems uh, like this develop before I'm never surprised at them because we have not learned yet how to move forward. Uh, I mean, people across racial lines because you have this situation in most areas at the present time where only one group uh, is in charge, the other group is without influence, and the other group starts to assert itself. What we have to come to realize is that we need uh, an input in all decision-making from all important groups in our community. Here's a random kind of a report, but overnight, on one night in March, uh, there were 10 
traffic fatalities. In one night. In one night. And so Jim Pitcock went to interview a state police spokesman to ask him about that. And, of course, as done today, uh, they talked about seatbelts. In going over the accident reports today, Jim, we find that none of the victims were using seatbelts and also that weather conditions were a factor in all six accidents. The reduced traction due to wet pavement and reduced visibility due to fog, heavy fog, along with the non-use of seat belts, undoubtedly contributed to the death and injury toll for the nine-hour period. Drivers must remember to adjust their speed when weather conditions are other than normal. And also the use of seat belts as a life-saving factor cannot ever be overemphasized. In 1969, we didn't have shoulder belts yet, did we? It was only lap belts if you had belts at all? You know, I don't know. Okay. I'm trying to remember when those were invented because... They certainly weren't mandatory yet. Right. To to even be installed in a car, I don't think. You're probably right. Yeah. 69? Yeah. It was pretty lax. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was speaking like... It was a big deal to wear a seatbelt. You know, yeah. be sure to do that. Well, people don't even think about it no, much today. It. Yeah. 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 So that month, some nationally known celebrities came to the state. Uh, the first, Ralph Nader. Speaking of car safety. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was a consumer yeah. activist and uh, governmental reform was one of his issues. And, you know, he later ran for president. A couple times, yeah. Yeah, but while in Little Rock, he talked about a topic we hear a lot about today is the environment. It's generally conceded that the problem is growing geometrically uh, in terms of uh, particularly air and water pollution, uh, that uh, many scientists think that there is about a generation left uh, for us to do something drastically uh, active conservation area in order to reverse the tide. Otherwise, the contamination of these natural resources will be, in effect, irreversible. Ralph Nader in Arkansas in 1969. You said several celebrities came. Boston Celtics great Bill Russell. But this is really a crazy uh, sound clip. Uh, he, it's very tongue-in-cheek and satirical about the draft. We should have milita- universal military training. No deferment and no exemptions. You know, like if you got one leg, you can you can take a crutch and hop onto the barracks, onto the parades. If you had one eye, you could see good enough to, to march. I figured that uh, would make the draft law a permanent part of the Constitution. And I would make uh, all the wars that we indulge in would be fought solely by the draftees. And this volunteer or some peacetime army would only be used to train the draftees to fight the wars. And they wouldn't even be allowed to go and watch them. Just train them and send them off. Now, yeah, it shakes you up, doesn't it? Uh, I would only make three provisions for the draft. One, no one could be drafted until they're 40 years old. Second, no one could be drafted that made less than $15,000 a year. And thirdly, if you ran for it and got elected to political office, that made you 1A top priority. 
All right, so one more. I love this one. Yeah, speaking of young people <laughs> yeah. and and the times, um, and one perspective of it, um, you know, there were protests and Vietnam War and uh, draft dodging and hippies, hippies and yeah. rock and roll music and free they, love. Hey, had just had the summer of love in '68, right. about right. to have Woodstock. And then you have Wilbur Mills. Who, although, I was about to say, doesn't embody any of that. But we, of course, know what happens to Wilbur Mills. Yes. With and, Fanny but, Fox. Yeah, but at, with being very conservative, yeah. uh, he was at the graduation ceremony at Hendricks College. And this is what he had to say about, uh, at the time, today's youth. And society is said to have suffered a breakdown in order. I'm reluctant and would not give reasons for these conditions. Perhaps the answer lies in the corruption of our values, in the breakdown of our institutions, the family, the church, and the community. Somehow there seems to be a social sickness today which demands almost total permissiveness. It is not freedom, but a kind of madness in which people exist without meaningful relationship between themselves and even to themselves. And most disturbing to me is that those who express this sickness most clearly are some of our young minds in this nation. News-packed month. It it really was. It would have been a good month to be a news person. Unless you wanted to sleep. I'll ask Pitcock yeah, about Yeah, ask it. Pitcock about that. <laughs> hey, uh, you can find all of these cuts and so many more archives if you put Prior Center into a search engine. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Prior Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. Enjoy the sunshine, Randy. All right. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The first BWC Assemble of 2022 is March 15th and will feature Kate Adams and Sonali Batra of Walmart, along with Julie McWhorter, CEO of Willow Creek Women's Hospital and Northwest Physician Special Hospital. Complimentary access for students, educators, and entrepreneurs is available. NWABusinessWomensConference.com for tickets and information. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, welcoming classic country rock group Nitty Gritty Dirt Band to the auditorium in Eureka Springs, Thursday, June 9th. Band hits include Mr. Bojangles, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, House at Pooh Corner, and more. Tickets are available online at tickets at thundertix.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us on this Monday. Tomorrow on a Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large, the University of Arkansas Fort Smith is hosting a series of lectures taking a deeper look at figures and events connected to the Civil War. Frederick Douglass, for example, who liked Lincoln in 1858 when he first took notice of him and then was very critical of Lincoln, uh, beginning with Lincoln's inaugural address, first inaugural address in March 1861, and was critical of Lincoln really until after Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. Why examination beyond what we think we know about history is important 
in contemporary times. That's on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF 91.3. And you can listen to past shows and interviews at OzarksAtLarge.com. If you ever miss a day's Ozarks at Large, just ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. For the past 37 years, you've depended on KUAF and NPR for important news, facts, and context. Every day you learn something new and go beyond the headlines to better understand your world. And it's because of listener support that we're able to make that possible. Your gift keeps unique programming on the air and available for everyone in our region. Give back to the public radio that's given you so much for more than three decades during our spring on-air fundraiser, beginning March 28th. This is Ozarks at Large. Before we go, just a few more items to share with you. Little Wing Productions has announced that the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band will be coming to the auditorium in Eureka Springs. They'll be on stage in downtown Eureka on Thursday, June 9th at 7.30 p.m. Reserve tickets, $65 and $85, and will go on sale at 10 a.m. Friday morning. If you want to purchase those tickets, you go to tickets.thunderticks.com. Thunderticks, like T-I-X at the end. Also announced, Incubus with special guest Sublime with Rome and the Aquadolls will be in concert Tuesday night, August 16th at the Walmart Amp. Tickets for that show also going on sale through all the usual Walton Art Center uh, outlets on Friday morning at 10. The Arkansas men's and women's indoor track teams competed at the NCAA National Championships this past weekend. The Arkansas women finished fourth in team scoring in the nation, and the men finished seventh. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Decatur. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media, at the University of Arkansas. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. Timothy Dennis produced today's show inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. Contributors for our Monday edition of the show included Roby Brock, Jacqueline Froelich, Randy Dixon, and Mark Christ. We will be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7, and you can keep up with all of our daily shows by subscribing for free to our podcast through any and all major podcast services. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. We'll talk again very soon.